if I had known we are stepping back into the 90s, I would have worn my overalls and my Doc Martens and a flannel shirt, but that was a great throwback. I like that, guys. Friends, imagine for a moment, you come down to breakfast, you're getting your bowl of cereal, your Fruit Loops, your Lucky Charms, your Cocoa Krispies, whatever it is you start your day with, and mom's sitting right there, and she asks you a question. She says, do you love me? We're probably going to play it off, you know, we're going to just kind of make, make a little remark, oh yeah, I love you, you know, we're not going to probably take it too seriously. But imagine that she persists and she digs in a little bit. She looks at you and says, no, do you love me? At that point, we'd probably be called to attention a little bit, realize we're being asked a sincere and honest question, and at that point, we'd probably say, of course, of course you know, you know I love you. But she doesn't let it go. <laughs> She won't let it go. She looks at you all the more intently, right in the face, and says, No, really, do you love me? I can imagine that mom would have our full attention at that moment. Jesus has a question for us this morning. And the question for us is, do you love me? No, 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 no. Do you love me? No, really. Do you love me? You see, Jesus is easily admirable. And there's a big difference between admiration and love. Jesus already knows that this disciple named Simon turned to Peter. He knows that he has his admiration. He's already declared him the Christ. The question isn't, who do you say I am? What do you think of me? No, the question for Peter and for us this morning is deeper. It is, do you love me? See, admiration will gladly put somebody on a pedestal and admire them uh, and tout their virtues and their qualities. But love wants to bring them down and get face to face and enter into a relationship. In fact, we just need to pause on that word for just a moment. He's saying, are you in love with me? Are you in this relationship with me? Are we together? Are we bound? Are we united? Do you love me? Jesus has made himself the most vulnerable of all. And isn't that that amazing? The God of the universe of all power, the beginning and the end, and all the other you know, superlatives we could tag on to who God is, is saying, I love you. Do you love me? Are we in love now together? Well, I hope this has been enough to get your attention to the word of God for us this morning. We're going to pick up in our greatest of all time series. Jesus, the goat, the greatest of all time, is going to have this conversation with this man before he makes his final ascent into heaven to prepare for his promised return. We're going to pick up in John chapter 21. We're going to pick up, we'll start reading at verse 15 here, okay? I'm going to read through 19. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, 
do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. If you got a note that simply said something like, I know what you did. I'm going to tell everybody. (laughs) What comes to mind? I know what you did. I'm going to tell everybody. Here's what I'm guessing for for all of us, at least for me. Something immediately comes to mind. Something that immediately washes a sense of guilt over me. Something that immediately makes me feel shame. Something that immediately makes me feel regret. Something that immediately puts me in that defensive posture that says, no, 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 whatever you do, you know, whatever it takes, do not reveal that decision. Do not reveal that moment. Do not reveal that choice. Do not reveal that night. Do not reveal, do not share, do not tell anybody else about that thing. We all have these things that come to mind immediately when we say we're going to tell on you, and it comes right back up. We mentioned this last week with Thomas and how Jesus brought him through his guilt and his shame and his greatest regret, but I think we need to dig in a little bit deeper. So why don't we this morning just turn to maybe the person around you, maybe a stranger, somebody you've never met, and go ahead and tell them this morning about that moment in your life. Go ahead and tell them about that decision. I'll just keep filling in the time until you actually do this, and and I'm, oh, no. All right, I guess we're at a standstill. Nobody's willing to go there in the house of the Lord. I'm color me shocked and and surprised. Well, the good thing is we're off the hook. We're going to go to another man's shame and guilt and his greatest regret. I always say this about myself. I always say I'm a horrible multitasker. And I say that as a point of pride because I don't believe in multitasking. I can really only give my attention to one thing at a time. This creates a lot of marital strife as Robin will have entirely com- entire conversations with me that I'm not a part of because I'm checking my email or I'm listening to something in, in a book. I can only give my attention to one thing except when it comes to this thing of guilt and shame and regret. When it comes to this, I'm a remarkable multitasker. I can be sitting in a worship service. I can be raising my hand and praising God. And one word will spark a memory. And guilt will wash over me. I can be in the midst of a party, laughing and having a good time. And somebody will tell a story. And that story will instantly take me back to a season in life. And shame will just begin to wash over me. I can be in the quiet of the night reading a book or watching a show or some otherwise trying to just check out and just relax. And again, a word, a turn of phrase, a song, a a, a food, a smell, something will just spark that memory of guilt and shame and regret. And I just hold it there in me and define myself by it. I, I'm guessing I'm not preaching, uh, you, know, you know, just to myself this morning. Um, here's what I realize now as, as I get into this. This morning, 
as we go into Peter's story, as we go into this topic and, and this area in his life, this might, this might bring some stuff up for you. This might bring some stuff up for you. Maybe this is already bringing some stuff up for you. Like, oh, this is supposed to be fun, George. We're going to worship God. Like, we want a good experience. Um, it's okay. You can go there this morning. You can deal with some of that stuff this morning. Because there's going to be some really good news on the other side of it. So if this is bringing up some stuff for you, I'm going to say I think God is in that. And you are welcome. You're invited. This is a safe place to go there. Well, I'm going to go there. Let's go back in time. Let's take a step back to the life of this guy named Peter. Peter, we first meet when Jesus is launching into public ministry, and he is actually um, introduced to Jesus by his brother Andrew, who says, come and meet a man. We think he might be the Christ. And in that occasion, Jesus says, Simon, son of John, you will be called Peter the Rock. And he was so impressed that he went on with his life of fishing. And some time goes by, and Peter is casually following Jesus around about the circle of his ministry. And then on another occasion, we find that he's actually teaching there and in the home, and Peter's mother-in-law is sick to the point of death, and Jesus actually heals Peter's mother-in-law. And then yet we find as Peter is still going on with his life, circling around this life and this mission of Jesus Christ. There's a lesson right there for us, a quick little tangent, that Peter is not yet all in. Peter is not yet devoted his whole heart, mind, soul, and strength to following Jesus Christ. He's tagging along with Jesus in ministry. He's still doing his work as a fisherman on the boat. He hasn't gone all in yet. And that's okay for a season. Jesus is quite patient. Jesus is quite loving. He's willing to have Peter on the outskirts of following him, but the time is coming now for Peter to go all in. And what I want to encourage some of us is to examine as we go through a season, as we go through the guilt and the shame perhaps, is this actually Jesus' clarion call to us to now finally and fully go all in. Peter has spent a whole night not catching. We would say fishing, but he was just not catching that night. He's on the shore. He's cleaning his nets. He's getting ready to go get a nap, get refreshed, do what he's going to do before another night of hopefully actually catching fish. And Jesus comes along, and he just steps onto Peter's boat. He has him put out a little bit. His voice, you know, would kind of go out over the waters then. It would amplify his public speaking voice there, and he preaches this message. And then he says to Peter, he says, put off into the water and cast down your nets. And a very interesting exchange happens. We're not going to unpack this fully. We'll save that for another time. He puts it back on to Jesus. Jesus, you're going to get the credit for this one way or the other. Because you say so, Jesus. Because this is on you, Jesus. I'll do this thing. He does this thing. He casts out his nets. There's a miraculous catch. Everybody's pretty pumped. Everybody's pretty jazzed. Peter now has the lenses, you know, I was going to say fall off, but come into focus, we'll say in this case, and he sees Jesus for who he truly is, and he says, depart from me, away from me, 
uh, he, he, he's already understanding something about himself. He's already at this stage feeling guilt and shame and regret washing over him. He can't stand being in the presence of now the perfect and holy one. And Jesus says, from now on, you will catch Men, I've said it before, and I'll keep saying it again. I've said it before, and if you haven't heard it, you need to hear this. If you've heard it before, you need to remember this. If you are living into this, you need to be reminded of it over and over again. Jesus does not wait to call those who are qualified. He qualifies those that he calls. If he was to wait to call those who were qualified, he would still be waiting, right, friends? He would be waiting a long time to call those who are qualified, to call those who are good enough, who are gifted enough, who are perfect enough, who have no regrets, who have no shame, who have no guilt, who have done it perfectly by the book, day in and day out, ever and always, indeed and in thought. He would still be waiting, but praise be to God, he does not call those who are qualified. He qualifies those whom he calls, and he calls... Men like Peter, men like me, and men like you, and women like you, he calls us. And he says, by my grace, by my righteousness, by my abiding in you, by the presence of my spirit dwelling in you, by my work, you will be qualified to do what I call you to do. Amen. That he does not call those who are qualified, but he qualifies us as he calls us and launches us out into ministry. Peter... From now on, you are going to catch men for the kingdom of God. Peter goes. He sees amazing things happen. He sees the dead rise to new life. The sick are healed. The possessed are set free. He's on a mountain and he sees this transfiguration of Jesus Christ fully revealed in all of his glory. It is the unbearable lightness almost and he longs to be there forever with Jesus in this experience of worship and glory and majesty. And he sees these incredible things and it comes to a head then, of course, as we zero in on Easter week. And the days prior then to Easter, there's this occasion where Jesus gathers and he reveals once again, as he's been doing time and again, that he is going to be betrayed, handed over, beaten, tortured, crucified, and he is going to die. Here now Peter declares, I will not betray you, I will not leave you, everybody else can leave you, but I'm not going to, I will even die for you, Jesus. And Jesus says, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Three times you're going to deny me. And then, if we fast forward to the events of Good Friday, it unfolds just as Jesus said it would. He's betrayed, the guards come, the disciples flee. Peter is now standing on the outskirts hovering around these fires, illuminating the courtyard, and he's confronted. Do you know this man? No, I didn't know him. He's confronted again. Do you know who he was? No, I have no idea who he was. He's confronted a third time. And again, apologies in advance. I always have to apologize whenever I state this, but this word is very clear. It says that he called curses down upon himself. I will be damned if I know who this Jesus was. The guilt, the shame, 
the regret immediately washes over him. Easter morning comes. The women go to take care of the body. But what they find is an empty tomb. They run to tell the disciples. And Peter, it says, <laughs> they come back. They see. They're piecing, the pieces, they're, they're, they're piecing it together. It's starting to fall in place. It's almost too much to comprehend in, in one occasion. They're starting to align everything that Jesus had predicted and everything that is coming to pass. And then it happens. Jesus appears in the room with the disciples. Peace be with you. They break bread. They fellowship with the risen Jesus Christ. He is alive. It should be enough. He appears again a week later, this time with Thomas. Peace be with you. He breaks bread. He fellowships with him. He is alive. It should be enough now, right, friends? It should be enough. We should have all that we need to move on with our lives. And yet when we come to our passage that we read this morning, what we find is that Peter is back on the boat. Old habits die hard, right, friends? Some of us have those comfortable places that we'll keep going back to. Maybe those comfortable relationships that we keep returning to when we feel we need something that we're not getting. Some of us go to those comfortable habits that will provide us a moment of relief whenever the guilt and the shame and the pain of it becomes too much for us. Peter goes back to his boat. He has been called. He has been qualified. It was never about him. It was all about Jesus. And yet I find that Peter's problem is my problem often too. It's not that I don't believe in Jesus. I believe that he is the Christ, the Son of God. I believe that he died for the sins of man and women. I believe that he was buried in the grave. I believe by the testimony of the scriptures, by the witness of those who saw him, by the story that has been passed down from generation to generation, I believe that Jesus is alive. I believe that he is Lord. I believe that he is reigning. I believe that he is coming again. I believe that he he is the most amazing man the world has ever known because more than a man, he is God himself. He is the goat, the greatest of all time. I believe in Jesus. I just don't always believe in myself. And as trite as that can sound, it's true, right? I don't believe that he could use a man like me. I don't believe that he would qualify a man like me. I don't always believe that he could look past some of the decisions that I've made, some of the things that I've said, some of the things that I've done, some of the thoughts that I've thought. I don't believe that he could look past some of the things that plague me and wash over me with guilt and with shame and regret. It's not that I don't believe in Jesus. It's that I don't believe in myself. It's not that Peter doesn't know that Jesus is alive, he's risen, he's reigning. It doesn't, that's not the issue for Peter at all anymore. He doesn't believe he's good enough. He doesn't believe he's any longer called or qualified to be the fisher of men. He says, I'm going back to the boat. I'm going to go fishing. Six of the other disciples say, we'll go with you. I hope in your life you are surrounded by a group of people who go with you. 
They won't even need to talk to you, maybe. They won't need to be like, buck up, you know, turn left, or, you know, you know, fake it till you make it. Or I, 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 ho- I hope you have people in your life that won't even bother trying to make it all right for you. They will just go and be with you when you want to be alone. But you need the body of Christ to surround you. Peter has that in these disciples and his friends, and they go with him. And they go, and they spend another night out fishing and not catching. (laughs) Fishing and not catching all night long until a man appears on the shore and says, Have you tried the right side of the boat? No, we haven't. And they toss the net out to the right side of the boat, and again, a miraculous catch. It is John who says, It is the Lord. Once again, Peter goes overboard into the water, swims to shore. Jesus says, help him pull it in. He goes back into the water. He helps him get the net. The net doesn't break. It's a miracle. They count the fish. It's 153. There's a little fire there. He says, bring some of the fish. They have a meal there by the campfire, and the conversation happens. Do you love me? Do you love me? No, really. Do you love me? You cannot miss the symmetry of it all. Three years ago, he fishes and doesn't catch anything, and he gets called, and he has already disqualified himself. But it is the Lord who says, I will make you fishers of men. Once in ministry, Jesus went over the side of the boat when he realized it was the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's going overboard once again for his Lord and his Savior, Jesus Christ, sitting there by the fire three times. He denies Jesus. Three times Jesus asks him, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Peter, you can't can't deny the symmetry of the whole thing. It is unmistakable and remarkable now what Jesus is doing with Peter. First lesson, first lesson here. Three crimes he asked Jesus, do you love me? So three lessons we'll pull from this to help us to understand and maybe apply it to our lives. The first thing we need to understand here is that Jesus stands more ready to forgive us than we are often willing to forgive ourselves. Jesus stands more ready to forgive us than we are often ready or willing to forgive ourselves. It takes work sometimes to accept the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. We keep going back to that boat that we think gives us comfort that gives us relief, that comfort zone that is beckoning to us, that is calling to us while Jesus is crying out to us, forgiveness and a life in love with him. Jesus is so ready to forgive us of that thing that washes over us with guilt and shame and regret, and we need to hand it over to him, friends. We need to give it over to him. There's a story told in the Old Testament when a man named Elijah was coming to the end of his life in ministry, and he was going to call a new man into ministry, a man named Elisha. And he calls out to Elisha, but then he has this hesitation, this moment, as he realizes this, this life and this sacrifice that he's calling Elijah to make. But Elisha does this. It's so beautiful. He says, just give me one moment here. I imagine it took more than a moment, though. And he takes the very plow 
that he was working in the fields. And he takes the oxen, they're pulling that plow, and he slaughters the oxen, and he sets the plow on fire, and he cooks the oxen, and he has a feast with the people, and then he goes forward in mission with Elijah saying, I, with Elijah saying, I will take on the mantle of this mission, this yoke that you are calling me to, friends. Sometimes, friends, in order to move forward with the calling of Jesus Christ in our lives, we have to burn our plow, we have to burn our boats. Amen, friends? Some of us, today is the day. This is the morning. It happens now. We need to burn our boats. There's no going back there. There is only moving forward with where Jesus Christ is calling us into a new life in mission with Him. Peter needs to go all in in mission with Jesus Christ now. It's time for him to burn the boat, move on, and get busy with the mission of catching men. Amen. He moves forward with it. So Jesus stands more ready to forgive us than we are often willing to forgive ourselves. And the thing about this forgiveness now, and the second point is that in order for us to experience then the forgiveness that Jesus has already accomplished for us. Let me actually pause and, and say that again. In order for us to experience the forgiveness that Jesus has already accomplished for us, not for him and not for forgiveness, but for us, he'll sometimes take us through it. He'll need to take us through it so that we can get past it. I love that song we used to sing at camp, going on a bear hunt, gonna catch a big one. Ooh, a river. Can't, I don't know if I'm singing it the way that you learned it, but this is the way that I learned it, and I'm singing, apparently, for some reason now. Can't go over it, can't go under it, gotta go through it. Sometimes you gotta go through it. Sometimes you can't go around the guilt. Sometimes you can't go under the shame. Sometimes you can't go around the regret. You've got to go through it or you're going to be stuck in it. You two had an incredible song about 20 years ago now. They won a Grammy for it in 2000. I did the quick research on it. There's still a website today about the song itself and the healing that it has brought to so many. It's called Stuck in a Moment. And it was Bono's tribute to a moment where he was stuck in the guilt, the shame, the regret that was ensnaring him, and he knew that he had the potential to be lost in this forever. He was going to be stuck in this moment. He had to get through it. Praise be to God that Jesus Christ will get us through it. He will take us through that guilt, that shame, that regret. He will take us through it so that we can finally be freed from it. Friends, if you are going through a season right now, if there's something that is standing in the way, trust Jesus, take his hand and go through it and hear him calling, do you love me? Do you love me? No, really, do you love me? Because I love you and I've given my life for you. So Jesus is more ready to forgive us than we're often ready to forgive ourselves. He will take us through it, not for him, but for us, so that we can finally be freed from the guilt and the shame and the regret. And the third thing then is that's when he can finally get on with calling us by a new name. When Jesus first meets Peter, he wasn't Peter, remember? Who was he? He was Simon, Simon the fisherman. And then whenever he gets to this encounter, who is he? He is Simon. 
Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon, he's still calling him by that old name. And when Peter finally embraces the forgiveness and the mission that Jesus is calling him to, it is only then moving forward that we see that he finally and fully embraces who he is. He is a new creation. The old is gone. A new life has begun. He is now, well, what's the name of the book? We turn our pages in the Bible. Do we find First Simon? It's not First Simon. What is it, friends? I'm trying to get you a little, I mean, come on, yeah, this is the upturn here in the message, so, you know, get ready for it. You know, is it Second Simon? No, it's Second Peter. He is Peter. He's finally embraced it. He's finally living it. He's finally moving on with it. I am Peter. I am the rock. I am the foundation of this church. I am a fisher of men. Amen, friends? This is the glorious gift that we have in Jesus Christ. Jesus wants more than our admiration. He wants so much more than our admiration. He wants our love. He wants our love. And he wants us to be in a love relationship with him. And because he wants so much for us to be in a loving relationship with him, he is willing, more willing than we are, standing at the ready to forgive us of all that separates us from his love. He is willing to walk us through that pain, through that brokenness, through that shame, through that guilt, through that regret, through that season of life. He is willing to go through it with us so that we can finally get past it. He is willing to call us by a new name. Men, women, children, all of us gathered here in the house of the Lord, I tell you this, we are the children of God and we have been called by a new name. We are new creations in Jesus Christ. Accept the gift. Accept it and get on with it. Accept it, embrace it, and live into the glorious promise of life with him. Let's get the band up here. Let's say a prayer and let us worship our glorious God. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. And as we pray this morning, I'm going to say it's going to be, it's going to be a little bit of a prayer here this morning because I want to walk you through this. I want to walk you with Peter through what Jesus is inviting us to. I want to walk you through this invitation of forgiveness. I want to walk you through your regret. I want to walk you into new life in Jesus Christ. If you've done this before, you can do it again. It's not going to turn Jesus off or offend him. If you've never done this before, this might be your morning. This might be your campfire moment. This could be the time when it turns for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for sending us your Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave his life for us so that we might live forever in relationship with you. Standing now before you, not worrying about anybody else gathered in this space here, not worrying about any other thing on the horizon, not worrying about anything outside of these walls, but being fully in this moment with you. We hear you calling to us, do you love me? Do you love me? No, really. Do you love me? And what we recognize in this invitation of love is that you stand more ready and willing to forgive us than we are so often willing to forgive ourselves. You have won and secured our forgiveness on the cross, on Calvary's hill, and that sin, that shame, that guilt, that brokenness has now been buried and it stayed there when you rose from the grave, Lord Jesus. We embrace, we receive, we live now into the forgiveness that comes through calling on you. 
Lord Jesus Christ, forgive us. Forgive us. Forgive us. Lord, if this has got a, a shame or a guilt or regret has got a, a, a lock on us, a hold on us, walk with us through that. Not for you, Lord, but for our sake. Walk us through that. Help us to deal with it. Help us to finally go through it and to put it in the past, Lord Jesus, so it has no power over our future. Whatever that decision, whatever that choice, whatever that thing that we did or that thing that was done to us, Lord, we put it in the past, Lord. It has no power over us anymore because we want to get on with the new life that you're calling us to. We want to hear the new name that you are crying out to us. My son, my daughter, my child, I love you and I gave my life for you. Now live forever in mission with me. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus Christ. And the people of God said, amen. Let's worship, friends.